judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode. Sing-songy enough? I think it was wonderful. It's a a pick-me-up. Happy Wednesday. Yeah, people are excited. Well, I mean... Are they? Yeah. yeah. I was like, wait, is it Wednesday? And I was like, no, you're right. That's when the episode comes out, yes. not what day it actually is. <laughs> That's what's important for the people listening now. Listening on the first day. You first day listeners, you're the real champions. We salute you. Indeed. Everyone else, you're cool too. But you know, those first day champions. First day champions. Yeah. Oh, the world is like going to hell. I mean, I think we've known <laughs> that. <laughs> We're so positive and chipper. <laughs> the world is going to hell, everyone. What kind of podcast you is this? You know what? We're taking you on a journey, all right? Come along. It's like a roller coaster. Yeah, there are peaks, there are valleys. Yeah. It's like a roller coaster because like, I don't want to be on it. <laughs> yeah. I hate roller coasters. Oh, really? I hate Ferris wheels. Mm, I like. I don't mind height. I hate the the dipping. So not even roller coasters. Like I remember one time I went on one of those. Uh, like it's a I think it's called like the Buccaneer. Like it's a ship, and it basically just goes like back and forth and back and forth. Like it swings. Oh yeah, I just threw up. Like my yeah, stomach yeah. does not like it. And then I read like some blurb somewhere that was like, if you don't like throw rides, you probably have control issues. And I was like, that's exactly right. So I will hold your jacket while you go on those things. But I'm not going. It saved me so much money on theme parks like Six Flags. No. Don't know her. Don't need to go. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I. it's been a long time since I've gone to an amusement park for that exact reason. Like, if 90% of the rides are going to make me sick. It, that's the thing. Like, roller coasters don't make me sick because they're mm. fast enough. The That um, ship thing, it's too much repetition. It's just slow. Yeah. And the Ferris wheel, I'm just petrified of the heights. So I'm like. Oh, I like it. And then someone's like, oh, let's rock it. And I'm like, No. no. I'm so going to throw you there, out of here. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Are there different ones? Because, you know, like, so I, when I think Ferris wheel, I think, like, oh, uh, God, wasn't it maybe Greece, when they have the ones where they're sitting side by side and it's open in the front. Yeah. But then they're the ones with the buckets. I like the buckets. The ones with the open in the front, I would probably never do. But the yeah. buckets, are, are they different? Are they called something? Is that not a Ferris wheel? No, I think that's still a Ferris wheel, right? It's a safety Ferris wheel, I guess. I yeah. like the buckets. Then. Yeah. I don't like the... I don't mind if it's, like, fully enclosed. <laughs> but even then, yeah, there's, fine. like... Even then, there's this fear that, like, it's going to come detached and uh, just, like... No. <laughs> well, I then did, you're I... in the little bucket. It'll save you. <laughs> Will it, though? It'll completely protect you. Absolutely. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. <laughs> I make... I make Ferris wheels, so I totally know the safety precautions. You are a Ferris wheel scientist. (laughs) I know, but I do like, I like like seeing up really high. I don't know. I like Ferris wheels. I mean, that's my least favorite ride, but then otherwise I just like things that, like I like things that are quick and not. She said. Yeah. That's not what she said. That's probably not what she said. No. (laughs) I like rides where you're like in a box and they just like shake you around and it's like you're on something else. So like kind of anything at Universal Studios, like 
you're oh. in one space, but you're barely moving, and it's just like the video screen in front of you, and like there's smoke and stuff, and it's tricking you into thinking that you're going somewhere, but you're not. Those yeah. guys, like for the longest time, like Universal Studios was like my favorite park, and like I would go there, and we we'd have to go multiple days because I was like, I need to ride the Spider Man ride nine times in a row, and that did happen once to the point where the guy was just like, you could just stay, and I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love that ride. And you're just in a little thing and it shakes you all around and it's like I'm doing so much but I'm not. Yeah, I think I would I wouldn't mind those, but I would get a little nervous. But I guess at that point I could like close my eyes and then yes. I wouldn't be moving so much and it would mm-hmm. be okay. And the good thing about that is so when I was younger I went on the ET ride. I don't even think it's there any longer. Um but it was like a you were in you were attached to like a bike. Because you were supposed to be like, you know, an E.T. What's sure. his name? Elliot takes off and he's got like yeah, yeah, yeah. in the basket. You're on a bike. And like E.T. is like in the front of like the bike. Like there's four bikes around. And for some reason, my seatbelt like unclassed itself. And I was like, oh, my God, I am going to die. Like I think that I'm 30 feet in the air and I'm going to die on this ride. And I look down and I see like an employee go through a door and I'm, like, 10 feet in the air. Like, less than that. And I was like, oh. Oh, so, like, I wouldn't even really hurt myself a little bit if I fell. Because, like, I could <laughs> touch that guy's head right now. Like, he maybe I was, like, seven feet in the air. And I was like, oh. Okay, so I'm it's fine. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. So that's, the, yeah. And then, like, there was the the other, this is just a podcast about rides now. But there's a, a ride that I was obsessed with that I was so upset when they got rid of it. It was the Back to the Future ride at Universal Studios. And that's the same thing. Like, they sit you in a car, you sit you in the DeLorean, and they rock you around. And at some point, I looked over, and I saw a whole line of other DeLoreans, and I was like, oh, we're all just on the ground. And then I could have fun, because I know I'm fine. Yeah. I've never been to Universal Studios. Um, It's so good. I really like it. I feel like I wouldn't mind that, because I feel like there's enough stuff to do besides rides. Yes. And that's what I would appreciate. Cool walking around stuff. There's not... You don't have to, like, buy a million things. I don't know. I feel like it's the, not to anger any Disney adults, but I feel like it's the much more chill version of Disney. Like, you could just go and, like, hang out. I feel like Disney is a lot of pressure. That's fair. I think, To I have think, fun. I feel like even in Disney adults might enjoy that they, or might appreciate that there is that difference between the mm-hmm. two locations. It's just preference. Um, I guess... As a terrible segue, speaking of preference. <laughs> uh, so we're recording this on the 11th, right? It's coming out next Wednesday, but... 11-11-22, um, look at that. Math. Math scientist. Whoa. I wonder if a bunch of people are getting married today. Maybe. Kind of a cool date. It's, yeah, it's a terrible weather if you're getting married in new york but true and i think anywhere on the east coast like we're having a it's hurricane nicole or tropical storm nicole yeah yeah Ugh, like my sister-in-law but she's nice <laughs> yeah she i've is. met like okay so she's the third i've met like three nice nicoles in my life and i've met so many nasty ones like that name triggers me like i just don't <laughs> like that name I've met so many nasty Nicoles. It's really funny because um, that podcast that I listen to and that's why we drink, they have an issue huh. with the name Megan. <laughs> and so it's just that's like funny. people 
I feel like people just have a name. Yes. Like there was somebody in their life that. It also might be like a geography thing. Like maybe Nicole is a very, very popular name here. So like you're going to meet more of them and maybe more of them are just bitches. I don't know. Like (laughs) that's not fair to say about all Nicoles, but like if you introduce yourself to me, you're like, my name is Nicole. Not all Nicoles. (laughs) Hashtag not all Nicoles. If you're like, my name is Nicole, I'm going to be like, "Mm, okay. Like I'm watching you. Like I'm not going to like you. You have to win me. Nicole. <laughs> All right, Nicole's come for us. Actually, one of our probably one of our top listeners. <laughs> her name is Nicole, and she's awesome. So shout out to um Nickmans15 on Twitter. She's one of my Twitter oh, friends. There you go. Four her. Nicole's. Yes. <laughs> we got you four n- good Nicole. Four good Nicole's. Good, good. I was like, wait, I don't wanna, I've never met her, but I am friendly with her on twitter so yes four good nicoles mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> speaking of we met we fucked up our segues so badly <laughs> yeah. so are you leaving twitter i just like remember no, i had one i'm i'm the freaking like band on the titanic <laughs> like oh the God. violin player i'm just <laughs> going down with the watch ship. me go down with the ship i i don't know there's some social media site oh what the hell is it called mastodon on. Yeah, that's one that I've heard people talking about and moving to. <laughs> I don't know. I that's... don't know. But I'm just, I'm like, I'm old. I don't well, want to learn I, something I feel, new. I feel like people know what we're talking about, but maybe they don't. But like yeah. Twitter and their uh, fearless leader, Elon Musk, did a bunch of layoffs. Like a bunch, a bunch of layoffs. Like I know someone who got laid off via email and that's like great, you know. And a lot of people quit and resigned and like yeah. walked away. And now he's talking about filing for bankruptcy. And yeah, the whole idea is that he needs to like turn a profit, but Twitter hasn't been profitable in like two years. Like it hasn't turned a profit. Like it just like floated and here's it was what okay, I, think. I guess. Here's what I think it really is about oppressing the minority voices. So hear me out. Yes. I'm like, wait, how in relation to what? Things like Black Lives Matter, things like um, LGBTQIA plus uh, advocacy, these are platforms and places where some of these newsworthy events actually get shared and go viral and people end up seeing them here. Um, Like these are places where people, the everyday person can have their voice out there and and like police brutality for example Mm -hmm. like this kind of stuff gets exposed on platforms like twitter and and by shutting down a social media platform like this or or basically like driving it into the ground you're shutting down that space where that voice can be shared and and twitter is very different from a facebook it's very different from an instagram in terms of the interactions that you have right on instagram I can share someone's post to my story, but I can't repost it without like a special, there's like a special add on that you can yeah. do. Right. In Twitter, it's like, if I like it, it might show up in your feed. If I retweet it, it might show up in your feed. If someone quote tweets it, it you know, mm-hmm. the, the way in which things spread on Twitter is, is so unique compared to these other platforms that yeah. I think it's a way to uh, oppress the voices of those people that, uh, you know, that they, they don't want heard. 
I don't. Maybe I'm being conspiracy theorist about it, but I really don't think so. No, I, I don't. I don't think you are. But I do think the irony that he his whole idea of buying it was because he wanted there to be more free speech. But he's like selectively reducing people's free speech, and if he destroys the whole platform, he completely gets rid of people's free speech. So it is. It's kind of funny. I don't think it was ever really his intention, right? Like I, yeah. I don't think he he's he's not stupid. Like, he plays himself off like he's stupid, but I think there was some intent behind it. I don't know. He's also been putting stuff out there about, like, uh, like encouraging people to vote for certain candidates, which, like, as the average person, no big deal. As a celebrity, I still don't care. You do you. But as the owner of a social media platform in this Mm -hmm. capacity, that's where I kind of get a little, like, eh. You have to, like, kind of remain neutral in that. Like, you don't get to decide and then, like, tweet, like, every half an hour who you think people should vote for. Right. There we go. I brought us back to the elections. (laughs) Speaking of voting for people, um, the midterms happened last week. Um, That was pretty much all over. So I was kind of watching a whole bunch of different races. Um, We have our first female governor in New York City. Yes, first time Woo. elected, right? She, first time elected, yeah. Because she was our governor when Cuomo stepped down, but that was just because she was the... Like, the next deputy? Lieutenant, 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 lieutenant. governor. I was mm-hmm. like, vice governor? That's not right. <laughs> I mean, technically, that's probably what it should be called. Right, I mean, that's what but it that is. that sounds stupid, so lieutenant governor makes more sense. But we are still waiting, aren't we, on a couple of states? Yeah, there's going to be some runoffs. There's the um, Georgia Senate race is a runoff. That's the Walker and. Yeah, and and Warnock. Warnock, yeah. I was going to say Marcus Flowers, not him. He completely lost against Marjorie Taylor Greene, which is crazy to me. I saw a very interesting TikTok that like broke down the um, like the racial makeup of like the area of people voting for Marjorie Taylor Greene and it's like 78% white and um I think it's like only 21% are college educated which I'm always like I don't think that that's fair because I know people who like didn't go to college and are still very smart but like I guess it depends on where you grew up if you get that yeah I feel like that's it's sort of minimizing that or like putting yeah. too much emphasis on education but i but also you know see what? where they're coming from i think that it might not even be now this is this is me riffing because i just thought of something it might not even be college educated but i feel like a lot of people who live in smaller towns when they go to colleges maybe a little bit outside of their comfort zone outside of their town that's when you meet more a more diverse group of people so it's like i've never seen a black person in my life but then you go to college and you're like there's so many black people here and you interact with people and you're like hey people aren't so bad as like you know grandma and grandpa told me they were and like you get to learn new cultures right, right. And i think a lot of people their only opportunity to do that is college and if they don't go to college I see what you're saying. It's not about the education in and of itself. It's about the exposure experience. Yeah, like the cultural exchange that is college. And I know it doesn't happen everywhere. Um, This is a terrible segue. But did you hear about uh, the incident that happened in uh, Kentucky? UK is the name of the – it's like University of Kentucky, but it just Mm -hmm. goes like by UK. Did you hear about that incident where 
this very drunk girl, um, like, came into her dorm, and there was a black girl there. She was working as, like, a desk clerk, but she, like, goes to the school. And the black girl's like, oh, do you need help? And this girl just starts to, like, attack her. It's all, all on camera. Um, she attacks her. She bites her. She sings the N-word at her. And it's so creepy and so eerie. And, like, the cops had to be called. And then she, like, hit a cop. So, like, she's not allowed to go to that school anymore. But her friends are all online, like, expressing really racist thoughts and saying that it wasn't her fault and really gross things are being said. So my whole thought was, like, but you go to college. Like, you go to college and you, like, experience these things. But I guess, like, some people don't. Yeah, well... So I I feel like that negates my whole argument. But maybe it's, I mean, maybe there are loopholes to everything. Maybe there is a group of people who are, like... I got to meet all these different cultures and I'm better for it. And maybe there are people who are like, I was always trash and I'll always be trash. So <laughs> why not both? <sighs> yeah. So like I said, the world's going to hell, but I mean, hopefully there's hope. I mean, the one thing I'm nervous about is there are still a couple of elections that haven't been determined. And um, this could give the GOP, the Senate majority. Chuck Schumer would no longer be the Senate majority leader. I'm looking at the House results right now, and um, the GOP has the GOP has 211 right now, out, mm-hmm. and they need 218 to be the majority. There should be, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the first person who said it, but there should be like an end, a term limit, because like if yes. you're like in your 90s, like what do you? We're supposed to be like future focused. Like what are you doing? There should be no career politicians in that yeah. sense, right? That every position should have some limit. Now that limit should not be identical across the board, right? Mm -hmm. Supreme Court justices, we want most of them in there for a long time, but maybe not life. What about, you know, 20 years? 20, yeah, 20, 25 years. And congressional reps and and senators, maybe like three terms, four terms, some sort of maximum Mm -hmm. number of terms just to kind of, rotate it through just so people don't get like complacent and you know forget what they're there for like you're mm-hmm. there for your and people your just citizens. vote for names they recognize a lot of times that did happen one state um they put this person on the ballot i don't remember what state it was um and the guy died in between like them printing them and the election and then everyone just voted for him and they like voted for him like very high and it's like this guy died and it's like well they should have fix the ballots because people you were just can't, like hey. though i think there's like a time limit on that mm-hmm. i don't i don't know the rules but there's yeah. definitely things about like when people can be removed from the ballots or how they're removed from the ballots i feel like we should rewrite those rules so there is a provision so that if someone dies like yeah <laughs> it's, it's a given like that's a that's a hundred percent uh okay to change if, yeah. if someone died yeah but we also got the first gen zer in congress in Florida, which is so surprising. Good well, for not all Florida is terrible, just some of it. And also, I was reading something. You're right. Universal Studios is great. <laughs> no, but I was and reading something about how gerrymandered the state is. And that's one of the reasons it oh, makes it yeah. really difficult for them to win any elections. So, yeah. Yeah. I think Wisconsin is that way. too. A lot of places are like that. And there's a lot of places that have, like, I want to blame like Georgia and Texas for their problems, but like when you actually really look into it, like a lot of there's a lot of voter suppression. White there's a lot supremacy. of people who are looking to change things. Yeah. <laughs> Except for somehow Uvalde in Texas still voted for Greg Abbott. 
I mean, I don't get that at all. I don't, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't looked do, into it, so I can't really say, yeah. but it takes all I just all don't kinds. know how that happened. I was like, did no one, did like only like 10 people vote? Was everybody like, I don't even care anymore because like my kids are dead? Like, I don't understand how that happened there, but. Right. Yeah. I, I, don't, I know. don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So that's why I'm always, I was going to be like, Texas can have the day it deserves. But then like. On Twitter, you talk to people from Texas, and they're just as mad about things. And I was like, why is it not different than if you're as mad as I am millions of miles away? Like, I don't I don't get it. I, gerrymandering definitely has something to do with it. Voter suppression, uh, mm. corruption. Yeah. All sorts of stuff. All sorts. But anyway, now that you've listened to us rant about politics and Twitter <laughs> for 20 minutes, I feel like we should probably know. get I into like our been... episode. <laughs> We should, but you know, wait, I'm going to give a bit of like, we, we both have to say something happy that happened because okay. like, all right, you, the person you're we're talking right. about didn't right. have such a happy life and we just talked about very unhappy things. So like my one thing of happy, I drove on the highway for the first time this week. Ooh, how was it? I didn't die. Well, I, I only drove like two exits. It was very fast. And I was like, I feel like I need to get off now. And my husband's like, okay, you can get off. Cause he's like, you sure you don't want to keep going? And I was like, it's very fast. It's faster than I expected it to be. But it wasn't super busy, but I, like, felt very accomplished. I also drove over two bridges. I drove over the 59th Street Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge, and both were very narrow, and I was nervous. Um, but apparently the Williamsburg Bridge is more narrow, so I have that to look forward to at some point. But I think I did a pretty good job. I'm getting there with my awesome. uh, my driving skills, doing a solo drive tomorrow. No, Sunday. It's going to be it's gonna be Okay. So I'm awesome. proud of myself. That's a that's a woohoo moment. Well, this Sunday, so before this episode comes out, but I think it it will air the following week or it will air sometime in the future. I'm going to be guesting on my streaming bubble podcast. Ooh. Um and we're going to be talking about the Apple TV show Bad Sisters, which I really enjoyed. Oh yeah. And so that I, I'm looking forward to that. So more than something positive that has recently happened, something I'm looking forward to yes. is uh, is being a guest on this podcast show. Uh, podcast show? Who am I? Okay, Grandma. <laughs> I was about to say. Remember when I asked you, like, you said something about candles, and I was like, okay, Grandma, <laughs> get your candles, get your candles ready for your podcast show. <laughs> But yeah, I'm really looking forward to that because I really like the show. So I'm excited to talk about it. All right. Th you're right. That was good. We needed to say something positive. That was that yes. was good. Because today we'll be discussing the Mexican artist Frida Kahlo. We'll spend some time on her early life before turning to art and leading up to her accident. Then we'll talk about her healing journey, her early art career and her tumultuous relationship with Diego Rivera. Next, we'll break down some of the labels that were assigned to Kahlo throughout her life and discuss why there might be more to them than meets the eye. Finally, we'll wrap it up with a discussion on her impact on the art world, women's role in society, and the LGBTQI plus community. So some trigger warnings for sexual abuse, miscarriage, abortion, motor accidents, and suicide. Frida Kahlo was born Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderón on July 6, 1907 in Coyoacán, which is a village just outside of Mexico City. Her parents were Guillermo Kahlo, who was a photographer, and Matilde Calderón y González, who we're going to assume was a homemaker 
because we couldn't find anything else. Kahlo was the third of four daughters, and she also had two half-sisters that did not live with the family. So, sounds a bit like me. (laughs) (laughs) When Kahlo was only six, she contracted polio. It's a super old disease in which it feels like you have a regular cold, but for like months. And it comes with long-lasting side effects like muscle weakness and slow development in children. So, because of this, one of her legs was shorter and thinner than the other. Because of the polio, she also spent a ton of time with her fa- alone or with her father. He encouraged her to pursue everything, literature, sports, photography. He didn't want her sickness to hold her back. She often helped him retouch photos, and here is where she developed an artistic eye. After being homeschooled for a few years because of the polio, Kahlo ended up in a pretty fancy prep school. Her goal was to become a doctor. At the National Preparatory School, she was just one of 35 women out of the total 2,000 students. The school had just started to allow women to attend when she enrolled. That's fun. That reminds me of um, RBG. Yep. So many of these women probably, right? Who like- were the first in their group. Yeah. Like, so you had to be awesome. Because if you weren't, they were just like, well, all women suck anyway. And we only have a space for 35 of them. So, like, you have to be the top 35. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. So... Frida did well. She studied and was a star student. She also became very involved in politics and social justice issues. She and her classmates formed a political group called Kachuchas. Together, they debated politics, held plays, and discussed ideas for the future, ways that they can make their country better. In this group, Kahlo met her first love, Alejandro. I want to say it like Alejandro. Alejandro. If he's your first love, his name has to be said Alejandro. Alejandro. So he was the leader of the group, too. Her parents hated him. Didn't like him at all. Um, Maybe because she said his name like Alejandro. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe she didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? She didn't say it like that, so they just weren't convinced he was worthy. (laughs) Oh, okay. I like that I laughed and was confused and then had to ask for (laughs) clarification. That's that's me in a nutshell. So between 1923 and 1924, Frida and Alejandro became separated, not only by the school's break, but also by fighting caused by rebellion against President Obregón. In 1925, when she was 18 years old, the two were together on a bus in Mexico City when it was struck by a trolley car. And here is probably the most detailed part of our trigger warning. Mm hmm. So maybe skip ahead 30 seconds to a minute. Basically, a metal handrail pierced her abdomen and exited through her vagina. Her spinal column was broken in three places. Her collarbone, some ribs, and her pelvis were all broken, and her right leg was fractured in 11 places. Her foot was dislocated and crushed. Like, the fact that she even survived, honestly, is amazing. I mean, I was surprised. You were surprised. The doctors were surprised. Like, everyone was very shocked that she lived. And they were shocked when after a month in the hospital, she actually went home. She was completely encased in a body cast, but she was alive and healing. Her life can be seen in two parts, before and after the accident. The life she wanted and expected for herself was kind of gone. Uh, She was about to embark on a very different path. So... Frida's body is broken, and she's going to need lots and lots of time to heal. So while she's on bed rest, she starts to paint on the special easel that is set up by her mother. Using a mirror, she starts to do self-portraits. So there are about 150 known works, and she's the subject of more than half of them. When asked why she paints herself so often, she said, I paint myself because I am so often alone, because I am the subject I know best. 
I actually have a reproduction painting, right, of Frida Kahlo in my house uh, that a former friend of mine did on a door frame or on oh. on a door, not a door mm-hmm. frame, on an actual door. And um, it's just a freestanding door in our house. It's not actually attached to anything, but I use mm-hmm. it to block the, ele- the elevator. Yeah, because I have an elevator. That sounds nice. Yeah. Don't know in that way. <laughs> um to kind of block off the ladder that goes to the roof so it looks prettier than just an open ladder. But Or you could put books on the ladder. Until, or themed things like Yeah, but pumpkins. then I have to move like a lot of stuff when it's time to like go, go on the roof? Yeah. There's How often does that happen? A few times a year we've got to clean off the leaves, the like the you do that? Satellite. Well, no, but it's the only way up there. So when the workers oh. come to do it. Okay. I'm just picturing you like going up there on the rake. I'm like, what is that? happening? No. No, no, no. Absolutely no. not. <laughs> definitely not. If I don't like the Ferris wheel, I definitely yeah, right? am not going on the roof. Anyway, Frida spent three months in bed. She healed, but she would suffer bone, muscle, ache, and chronic pain for the rest of her life. The accident also ended her dream of becoming a doctor. After being outside of her social circle for so long, for like the better part of a year, Kala tried to keep up with her old prep school group, but most of them were away at university. She ended up joining the Mexican Communist Party to help make some friends. There she met Diego Rivera. He was an established painter and she really admired his work. So Kala asked Diego if he could take a look at her work and see if it was worth pursuing a career. He was super impressed and she was pretty smitten. The two of them started a relationship shortly after that. Finally, her parents were happy that she was dating a man they loved. Er, negative. They hated him too. Granted, he was 20 years older than her, and he already had two common-law wives. They just wanted something simpler, like an easier love for their daughter, which, you know, I guess kind of makes sense, right? It does. It makes sense. Like, you don't want your kid to have to, like, suffer, and you think that she might suffer marrying someone so much older with all this emotional baggage. Yeah. Nevertheless, the two were married in the town hall of Coyoacan on August 12th, 1929. Her mother was opposed, but her dad was like, oh, all right, that's fine. Why? Because Diego Rivera was pretty rich. So, like, I want to be like, Dad, why are you being so money hungry? Like, relax. But Kala couldn't work. Like, not like a nine-to-five job. Her injuries changed her life completely. She also had constant pain and, like, follow-up visits and expensive medical treatments just to keep her mobile. And Diego had money and could support her long-term. Shortly after they were married, they moved away from Mexico City to the rural state of Morelos, where Diego was commissioned to paint murals. Here, Kahlo spent her time with the locals learning about the culture. Kahlo started to dress in very traditional indigenous Mexican clothing. So think like long, full, colorful skirts and dresses paired with large headdresses and also an even larger jewelry. There was a group of women who were in charge of the area called the Isthmus of Tehuantepec. To Kahlo, this group stood for everything she was looking for. Strong women rooted in their culture, living and building a post-revolutionary Mexico. They inspired her and her art. As much as she loved Mexico, in 1930, Rivera's work took them to America, San Francisco to be exact. San Francisco became the site of Diego's first U.S. mural. So he didn't start, like, the whole mural culture there, but he certainly helped it. So on our honeymoon, we did, like, this walking tour of the Mission District. And, like, when I said we did a walking tour, like, I went on Google and found, like, a bunch of places, and we just, like, literally walked to all of them. There's so many, and it's there's so much amazing street art there. And I took 
a bunch of pictures of like some Frida based uh, street art. So I will post it. That's awesome. On the gram. It it reminds me a lot of a, a project I just had my students in my honors class do. Um, so a few weeks ago, we went to the the International Center of Photography. And then, oh, yeah. and then the last two weeks, we've been looking at this book called Art Hiding in New York. So mm-hmm. I sent them to do an assignment where they had to find five pieces of public art out in the world and create their own photo essay of it. So it had to be revolved around a theme, like maybe they found five murals or maybe they mm-hmm. found five pieces of art by a particular artist or five sculptures that were bronze or, you know, whatever. And so Mm -hmm. it's that same idea of like, you went online, you found out what it is you want to see and you just walked until you saw what you, what you needed to see. Yeah. I bookend it by like food, of course. I mean, (laughs) like we're going to walk five miles to get to this thing. But at the end, there's going to be like these amazing sandwiches. And there were, I'll post a picture of the sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) San Francisco is a Mecca for artists. And here Frida met with fellow artists and learned new techniques. She also started to focus on her folk art style, the one that we're probably most familiar with. Like if you mm-hmm. just Google Frida Kahlo art, you will probably come up with this, this style. So Frida was still finding herself and she downplayed her work, allowing Rivera to take the spotlight. Oh, no, oh, she was happy. She was happy to play the role of like the supportive wife, you know, but like as her craft and her circle grew, like so did her sense of self. It just took her a little bit. One of her pieces, Frida and Diego Rivera, was included in an exhibition for the San Francisco Society of Women Artists. <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, I understand it takes like not everybody is just like up there and ready and like throwing themselves out there and, and so self-assured yeah. right from the beginning. But it just makes me sad and frustrated that like someone that we know is so such an amazing artist like Frida Kahlo mm-hmm. and, and that even she went through that. It's just like, yeah. what does that say for us average people, right? That you should keep trying. Like, you're not going to be Frida Kahlo right out the gate, you know? Like, even Frida Kahlo wasn't Frida Kahlo right out of the gate. But I mean, like, the downplaying your work bit. Like, if she was well, downplaying her work, like, you know what? No, stand up. Make your work shine. Like, not. I'm not saying, like, say anything bad about your, your partner's art or anything. Yeah. But, like, why not both? Well, no, see, I kind of get that because if you're going there for like his thing specifically, like the only reason they were going to America was because he had work there and you show up and you're like, yeah, my husband does murals, but like, I also do things too. Look at all my work. It's like, hey, miss, could you like give us a second? Because we're here for this dude. I don't know. I feel like that would be a little rude. A little bit. I don't. In the beginning? I I fully Mm. disagree. I 110% disagree because- you shining is not going to take away from his shining. I don't think that it would have, but I feel like it would have. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Like, I feel like she was there to support him in the beginning. If and his once she masculinity got her footing, is that fragile, then like, goodbye. Obviously, she was really into him. We know this mm-hmm. about her. But like, if his masculinity was so insecure that he couldn't handle her also being successful then i have no room for that (laughs) so i don't i don't know i think maybe there's like a happy medium in between because what i'm thinking is like someone showing up and being like oh i'm doing this interview now i know you asked me about my husband but i'm doing all of this now and like now the spotlight is on me i think you mean like she's sharing the spotlight but in my head it's like if she would have just come out of the gate and be like i'm a painter too look at all my work 
I feel like that would be rude. Well, no, again, not 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 framing it around herself, but mm-hmm. not like if someone is just like say she's at a market selling her work and someone's like don't downplay yourself. Don't don't yeah. like settle for less. If the if there's like an explicit interview and it's like we're here to talk about Diego Rivera, then yeah, you talk about Diego Rivera. But yeah. like as a general rule, no, I'm not okay with it. <laughs> I don't know. Different different ideas, different times. After all of this, the two traveled on to New York and then they went to Detroit. By the time they relocated to Detroit, Kahlo had a few big pieces of artwork completed, and she was pretty eager to make more. One writer from the Detroit News asked her for an interview about her own art. Kahlo happily spoke to the reporter, but was disappointed when the piece came out. It was titled, Wife of the Master Mural Painter Gleefully Dabbles in Works of Art. Like, ew! this is why i'm saying this is why you don't downplay yourself right like because this bullshit i mean let's i feel like that would have happened anyway yeah well the rest of the article was just as condescending as the title implies and it's gross kala wasn't a fan of detroit for many reasons not Um, just this reporter (laughs) not just this reporter um in a letter to a friend she wrote Although I am very interested in the industrial and mechanical development of the United States, she felt uh, a bit of rage against all the rich guys here. She said, since I have seen thousands of people in the most ter- in the most terrible misery without anything to eat, with no place to sleep, that is what most impressed me here. It is terrifying to see the rich having parties day and night while thousands and thousands of people are dying of hunger. Mm-hmm. She's not wrong. She's not. She, she would hate today. <laughs> she would be like, we're never going back to America. Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, this trip with America was also filled with other health complications. Uh, one of them due to a failed pregnancy. Kahlo and, and Rivera tried to have children for many years, but due to the injuries that she had suffered in that bus crash, her body wasn't able to carry a child. Kahlo did have one abortion when it was clear that her health would not allow her to go through with the pregnancy. Because, you know what? A woman's life is important and it has to yeah. come first. <laughs> and I love that we thought that in, you know, 1930, but we don't think that now. Also, it was Mexico. Well, she was here. She was here and it wasn't yeah. federally acknowledged, but it was one of those circumstances. It wasn't just yeah. like going into a clinic. It was like, you will not survive. We recognize mm-hmm. this. Let's do something about it. And it was much more, let's talk to your doctor. Yeah. And you can talk to your doctor about it and you can decide. Yeah, it was definitely, it was, it was definitely a different time. And while traveling in New York, she, she became pregnant a second time, but she miscarried, unfortunately. By 1934, Kala was done traveling. She was tired. She missed home. And back to Mexico they went. Sadly, Frida's health continued to fail. She had her appendix taken out and part of her foot was amputated. She was happy to be home with her family and be around doctors that she actually trusted. But Diego was not. No, Rivera was not happy in Mexico. The crowds and the press were, they weren't as excited about him in Mexico the way they were in the United States. Mm -hmm. He was reluctant to leave, but he did it if only for Frida. So, you know, when you do things for other people, it's really great. Sometimes. Unless you're bitter about it. Yeah. 
because this bitterness led to resentment. And then the resentment led to Diego having an affair with Frida's sister. Scandalous. Yikes. So we, yeah, we skipped it a little bit. Because uh, I didn't think it was important, but maybe it was important. So these two had affairs, like, all the time. But they always came back to each other. I really feel like, with the number of affairs they had, it really felt like it was just an open marriage. But, like, they maybe didn't have the terminology yeah. for it back then. Because they had many affairs that that you knew about. So yeah, I like to think it was just an open marriage. That's That's kind of what it sounds like right it's what it it, sounds like it wasn't socially accepted yeah i mean so like like i said they had very very high profile relationships with other like notable people in the art world so definitely wasn't something they were hiding because like they were going on dates with people like art gallery openings and stuff so frida had affairs with men and women she was bisexual um but only the men caused diego to be jealous the women he wasn't super concerned about but this affair, this affair was brutal because it was her sister. So Frida was really hurt and she actually moved out of the house that they shared for a period of time just to like cool down. Eventually the two forgave one another and they tried to make it work. But I, maybe like a little bit too much damage was already done. In 1940, Rivera asked for a divorce from Kahlo. So they didn't need to state a reason in Mexico Uh, But Diego said that it was all a matter of legal convenience in the style of modern times. There are no sentimental, artistic, or economic reasons. What does that even mean? Um, Like, give me the tea. I want the Earl Grey. Like, I want to know all the... Like, we know the messiness, but, like, I want to know the messiness he talked about with his lawyer for this divorce. Yeah, it sounds like, you know what? I just want to be able to sleep with whoever I want to sleep with, so... He could have. <laughs> he was. So, like, I don't understand uh, including why... Including her sister. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I would like to know. I want to know. I want... Maybe he's got a biography somewhere. He definitely does, for sure. Mm-hmm. Historians and friends say that it was from all the cheating on both sides, you know, and the divorce was granted in November 1939, but the two remained friendly and actually so friendly that they got remarried. Surprise! <laughs> when they ran into each other in San Francisco in December of 1940. So like literally a year later. Yeah. They're like, like oh, I can't, you- I can't be away from you. I don't love you. I love you. What? Ah. I can't even imagine that just being like, I hate you. I'm leaving. Oh, man. Did we just run into each other at like Staples? We should get married again. Like, that's. I don't know why I thought you were going to say Comic Con. (laughs) Like, did we just run into each other at Comic Con? No, because you run into your ex at Staples. Oh, all right. Well, now I know. Yeah. I don't know. I've never run into an ex at Staples. I've only run into a good time at Staples. I'm a loser and I like office supplies. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about this time in between their marriages, uh, the divorce and then the remarrying. So Kahlo returned to her family house, which is lovingly referred to as La Casa Azul, which means the blue house. It's like super sweet. I love it. Here she was inspired by having to start over and again, being alone. Like for the first time in a long time, she was completely alone again. So she changed up her painting style. She switched to smaller metal frames rather than like this big canvases she was using before. Uh-huh. Some of her most famous and painful work was painted at this time. She was depressed over the breakup. She started to drink pretty heavily. So she was depressed and her depression came out in her artwork. The depression helped her really focus on her art and she put a lot of that sadness into her artwork. And she was really 
prolific at the time. Like she ended up being featured in three separate exhibits, one in Mexico, one in New York and one in San Francisco. This is the one in San Francisco where she ran into Diego and their love rekindled in an aisle in Staples. <laughs> she was getting hooks to hang for paintings. Of course, of course. Yeah, like you do at Staples. When was Staples when did Staples open? Definitely not in nineteen thirty. Now no. I wanna know Staples. I know. I've like now I've you looking it up. Yeah. <laughs> I've made this joke. Did too far. first Staples store if it is in 1930 i will lose my mind it's probably like 1992 no it's 1986 in boston i was like like me but not in boston oh my god me and staples (laughs) were born to coexist (laughs) (laughs) well after they ran into one another you know that they remarried and Mm -hmm. this time around their marriage was a little bit different, right? They decided to give each other some space. Diego kept his apartment to use as a studio, and he moved back into La Casa Azul with Frida. Well, the affairs continued, so did the love, apparently. So, you know, again, mm-hmm. open marriage? I, yeah. I'm voting for open marriage. Mm-hmm. But um, unfortunately, her declining health also continued. Frida was having problems with her spine, and she was required to wear supportive corsets, Basically 24-7, which, honestly, the way I take my bra off the second I walk Ooh. in the house, like, a corset 24-7, <laughs> does not sound like a good time. No, it sounds quite horrible. And and these spinal issues, they, they resulted in limited mobility issues. So she had uh, physical disabilities that prevented her from, like, living, the li- living her life with the ease that she may have uh, been accustomed to before. I don't know. All that could really be done was just to make her house more comfortable since she didn't leave it that often, which I get. I hate leaving my house. Her art focused on depicting this time. So making art also hurt her too because she couldn't really stand or sit for too long. The best position for her was like either flat on her back in bed or, you know, kind of like propped up in bed. Um, That's where she was the most comfortable. When she wasn't making art, she focused her attention on political issues, hosting meetings in her home that she can attend them. She rejoined the Mexican Communist Party in 1948, and together they worked with the World Peace Council to try and get countries to give up or destroy their nuclear weapons. They were looking to avoid atomic war. I mean, aren't we all? Yeah, but I mean, 1948, for very good reason, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess like, not the threat was stronger then than it is now. Yeah, yeah, they, because they literally had just, like, had it happen three years prior, three, four years prior, right, in Japan. I'm not a historian. war scientist. <laughs> yes, I'm not a historian. You know what war scientist words do. Okay. In the spring of 1953, Frida had her first one-person exhibition in Mexico. Her health was very bad at the time, and doctors told her not to attend. She decided to anyway. After guests entered the gallery, sirens were heard outside. Frida Kahlo was being carried into her exhibition on a hospital stretcher. Not out of it, into it. I don't know if it was this or her art or maybe a little bit of both, but the exhibition was an amazing success. So I forgot to note that, but like they carry her into the, onto the stretcher, onto like a bed, like there's a bed in there. In a last-ditch effort, uh, Frida traveled to New York City to have spine surgery that would fuse her spine to a steel bar to straighten it. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch so much. That sounds so painful. 
And sadly, it it didn't work. Um, It didn't yield any long-term assistance. It actually caused an infection and led to more surgery. So while this is happening, like, she's still making art, you know? And Diego's still cheating because, you know, that's that's his... They they have roles. Like, she's an artist to the core, and he's an artist too, but he also is, like, still going to cheat. And it doesn't matter that she's... She needs him. Like, she's growing more dependent on, like, painkillers, and she's being... Like, there's... She's getting less mobility, and she needs him more than ever. And he, like, starts seeing someone else, not just, like, a fling. Like, she... He starts, like, a relationship with someone else. So, like, I was on Team Diego towards the beginning, but, like, year after year, I'm just like, mm, maybe her mom was right, because this guy kind of sounds like a dick. Like, <laughs> she just had, like... Her spying fused to, like, was essentially, like, rebar because it's, like, 1940. And he's like, yeah, that's cool and all, but I got a date. So I'll see you in a couple of hours. I'll I'll put I'll put the lamp next to you so you can read if you want. Like, he just – it sounds terrible. It just sounds really shitty. Like, I mean, I have cramps and I'm like, babe, I need you to rub my back and bring me chocolate. Like, there's no way if I had, like, this horrible surgery that I would just be okay with you, like, leaving me. Yeah, I don't know enough about him to really speak to it, but it doesn't look good from this side of things. (laughs) I mean, things were really tough for Kahlo, and she even attempted suicide. After this failed attempt, Frida wrote into her diary, They amputated my leg six months ago. They have given me centuries of torture, and at moments I almost lost my reason. I keep on wanting to kill myself. Diego is what keeps me from it. Through my vain idea that he would miss me. But never in my life have I suffered more. I will wait a while. Sorry, I just passed out from sadness. Like, that is that is such a sad thing to write. Like, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's heartbreaking that she's in so much pain. She doesn't want to be here. But she's like, I, I need to stay here for this man who also is so busy having affairs that, like, can't pay. I don't know how much attention he paid to her. Listen, I'm not a historian, as we said, but it's just, it's very sad to me that she just, like, that she had so much suffering. So, like, it's it's really bleak, and that bleakness goes into her artwork. So she ends up drawing towards, towards, the, towards the end of her life. She draws black angels with the words, I joyfully await the exit, and I hope never to return. It's, I mean, this... These are the words of someone who is suffering, who is in pain, absolutely physically, perhaps emotionally and mentally as well. But it's... And yeah. And also is an artist. So like this comes out like, I don't want to say it's dramatic because it's not dramatic because it's like exactly what's happening. But like it comes out in like this poetic notion, you know, I can just be like, my back hurts. But like, because she's like an artist, it's the agony yeah, and I mean, you know, like she finds like beauty in everything. So like, she's able to make this pain into this like artwork, like with the the black angel and. Yeah, I mean, the first yeah. bit is from her diary, right? So that wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily meant for anyone else. Yeah, but that second part is something she wrote like on a drawing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's when you know, like that. It it seems to me like a cry for help to a certain extent, yeah. or like it's just a, a cry of desperation. Hmm. So while in the hospital on July 13th of 1954, 
Her nurse found her dead in bed. Paolo was only 47 years old. While the cause of death was a was a pulmonary embolism, some historians say that it was actually suicide because many of her pain pills were missing. Yeah. I mean, given what we just learned about her, it's not terribly surprising, right? It's not, yeah. And I mean, like, I don't think you should blame anybody for their suicide, but it, it makes it makes sense why. Yeah. If, if, she was in so much pain, it, it makes sense that she was like, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kala was cremated and her ashes are on display in her favorite place, La Casa Azul, which was actually opened as a museum in 1958 and is still operational today. Road trip. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Let's talk about this idea of her being a gold digger yes we're digging <laughs> that was not digging intended <laughs> i really gold. wish i really wish i were that clever but <laughs> anyway there was this this idea that that Kala was a gold digger the opinion mm-hmm. of the time and even one held by some historians today is that the marriage of frida and diego wasn't a hundred percent a love match Mm-hmm. Diego was 20 years older and had two common-law wives, as we mentioned, and so maybe this wasn't, like, the most ideal match for her. I, I think it's worth to consider that, like, the time period, right, and, like, the medical circumstances for Frida, like, what she was dealing with, she was going to need full-term care for the rest of her life. Like, you heard it. Like, she had multiple surgeries, like, every couple of months, or if not every couple of years, there was a surgery happening. And, like... She needed someone to take care of her. Like, marrying someone who was financially safe was smart. Like, I'm not saying that a marriage should just be about money, but these things definitely should factor in. Yeah, and, you know, he was older, but, like, what's wrong with older? I Honestly, if you're both adults, consenting, mm-hmm. grown-ass adults, it's not that big of a deal. Being with someone older may provide you with, uh, you know, a mature partner, someone with experience and knowledge. You know, Rivera was worldly, and... He had experienced a lot of life, and he was looking to share this with Kahlo. Often, though, a younger person in an age gap relationship is looking for mentoring and opportunities to learn, and sometimes an older partner can offer these. Mm-hmm. Especially in an artistic relationship such as this, you know, there may have been the passion behind it, but... Diego was an artist and Frida was also an artist and she was looking to learn. And so it was sort of this mentor turned romantic mm-hmm. relationship. She, Frida said, why not both? <laughs> so historians really love to point out that uh, Frida was super petite and Diego was tall and fat, which made him hard to love, which with that, I give like a very, very big eye roll. People like what they like, and everyone has a type that could be physical or emotional. We don't know what Carlos type was, but I gotta believe that she wasn't somebody who would be hung up on looks. Like, that wouldn't stop her from dating anybody. She definitely seems like she would dig a little bit deeper into someone's personality. Yeah, I, I mean, honestly, that probably was a bonus, but it was, I'm assuming... I'm assuming it was way more the artistic side of him that that she was invested in. And, you know, when you think about the passion that they both have for art, it is really, I think it's it's a dead giveaway that that this was what bonded them together. And I want to talk about what I've seen most recently about uh, Frida Kahlo and her artwork is the cultural appropriation. Okay. There are lots of people who say um, 
we should cancel her because of it. So like modern day art lovers and critics have taken a look at Frida's work and said, hey, this seems like culture appropriation. So remember we spoke about the women of Tehuantepec, um, the peasant class of women who were running things. Mm-hmm. She was so inspired by them that she painted about it. The painting is called Self-Portrait as a Tejona. Kahlo painted herself as an indigenous woman from Tehuantepec. In an interview about the painting, she says, I've never been to Tehuantepec, nor do I have any connection to the town. But of all Mexican dresses, it's the one I like the most, and that's why I wear it. So with that context, like this sounds like absolute trash, like maybe she should be canceled. But it's important to think of the time frame. Alberto McElligan Hernandez, an assistant professor of art history at Portland State University, spoke on this topic, saying, When Kala was creating that painting in which she in which she presented herself wearing the traditional attire of the Tijuana, this was part of a larger national push to reevaluate the meaning and significance of ind- indigenous culture in Mexico after the revolution as a way to transcend the larger history of colonial colonialism in the region. A lot of intellectuals, writers, and visual artists were trying to insert indigenous imagery into their work as a way to celebrate that heritage, which had long been marginalized in Mexican culture and Mexican art. The thing is, in in Latin America, right, you have a mix of, like, people are a mix of all of these cultures, and it mm-hmm. wasn't so... Um, severe as it was in the United States where it was like annihilation and genocide of the population. It it was near genocide. Don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. But there was also a lot of um, mixing of racial backgrounds in Mexico. So whether she was or not, like there is this idea of Mexico being an indigenous nation. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I guess I understand that. Right. Like what, this professor is saying is that Kahlo maybe co-opted this indigenous culture, but it was to help preserve it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, we can argue that her mother was a Spanish and indigenous descent, like I was saying. So there is some of that in her. Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I know what you're saying and I understand what these contemporary artists are saying, but you know, um, maybe we could argue this is partially her culture, Kind of, but like it really wasn't. You know, Kahlo was wealthy and the Tijuana people were peasants. She never personally interacted with them and neither did the family. She had no ties, but like at the same time, there's more of a cultural like blending of this than a separation, which I feel like we have a lot more of an extreme separation in the U.S. I don't know. Yeah. But for Kahlo, the Tawana people's look and matter address helped her to express her feminist and anti-colonialist ideals. Her painting, her painting was saying, you might be trying to colonize us, but the indigenous people will be remembered. McKelligan Hernandez goes on to say that in terms of the original audience for those paintings, no one in post-revolutionary Mexico would have read the image of Kahlo presenting herself as Tijuana it would have immediately been understood as part of that political celebration of indigenous culture to transform the national identity of Mexico. So it kind of feels like we shouldn't let interpretations from the past affect our present, but it has to go both ways, right? Like cultural appropriation wasn't a thing back then. And I feel like we can't take today's ideas and stand them up against yesterday's way of thinking, especially without context. Like, of what was going on at the time. Like, I'm not saying that everything that happened back then should 
be let like slid and like right. you know like well blackface was appropriate for the time because like it never really was so like but blackface isn't blackface is mocking a culture whereas yes. in this case she is uplifting a culture right yes yeah, so that's that's what I'm thinking. Like, you have to like add in the context of it because I feel like I'll say that, and then like I said, like, you know, you can't use those ideas for today's ideas for the past, and someone will bring up, oh, what about blackface? Like, what she was doing wasn't meant to be derogatory. Like, she was uplifting her artwork, and she was trying to uplift the indigenous people of the time. Like, it was, and not to be like, well, everyone was doing it, but it was like a cultural movement in the society like it was a thing that was happening yeah and in mexico like as we're seeing here from the history this 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 professor is discussing it was a specific movement in mexico to recognize this culture and to bring Mm -hmm. attention to it and she had a platform to do that Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean sure we can understand that maybe it wasn't the ideal choice but I, I think you're right, like criticizing it under the same conditions that we criticize 21st century appropriation yeah. doesn't really work here. The, the last thing we want to bring up in this section is a little something that was called freedomania. <laughs> During the feminist movement in the 1970s, Kala was admired as an icon of female creativity. By the 1980s, there was a huge Frida boom. Frida, a biography of Frida Kahlo by Hayden Herrera, was released in 1983, and the Whitechapel Gallery in London did a retrospective of her paintings. People loved it, and they just wanted more. More Frida. Frida had become a a global symbol of resilience. Her life was hard, as we just said. She fought against adversity and the patriarchy, like we all do, but she did it way before women had, like, all the rights to even be doing it. Again, these women were fighting for the same things, but Frida was fighting for just many, many years later. So she was the perfect icon for this movement. Her relationships with both men and women made her a very strong figure in the queer community as well. She aligned herself politically with those being marginalized in Central America's marginalized indigenous populations. Her image made her the perfect leader for many causes. But why use her image to champion women's rights when you could use it to, I don't know, sell lipstick? That's how I'd like to buy my lipstick. Yeah, I might wear it then. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So the image and idea of Frida Kahlo quickly morphed into something else due to widespread commercial use of her image and name. In early 2019, Alta Beauty launched a makeup collection in collaboration with FKC, which is her kind of like legacy, like corporation. Her estate. Her estate. yeah, Yeah. Okay. Um, so the collection was, it was a collection of nine beauty products containing an eyeshadow palette featuring bold and bright shadowed colors and a cosmetic bag. The cover of the products is a very waxed, very polished version of Frida. Yeah. In 2018, for Women's History Month, Mattel released a historical line that included another very waxed and polished Frida. But like, I don't get it like why use her image if you're gonna need to change it like you're trying to market on her name but the people who know her aren't gonna buy this and the people who don't know her like don't care i don't get it i mean what (laughs) i I mean i i think the hope is that people bought the makeup palette and and that also she intrigued people into going out and learning more about her I, I don't know, but like, you know, maybe they would learn more about her legacy as an artist and a woman. But I'm telling you, I can't get the image out. Like if you have like a makeup thing, there better not be tweezers in there. 
the in the uh, we'll post it on the gram but like there's like a, a very wax like there's no unibrow or it's like very very faint Wait, so there's when no you say waxed either. and polished you mean like literally they wax your eyebrows like yeah. her unibrow yeah. is gone it's very very faint but it's like from afar you can't see it oh. so it's kind of like what is the point because like even in like her artwork she like when she did portraits of herself she like she emphasized that like she, yeah like she put like she had facial hair she put that on there and like these images don't have that because makeup is about making you beautiful and you're not beautiful if you have extra hair on your face says society no i, I i'm just i'm yeah. just ugh. ugh. yeah so that's why i'm like why would you even change it like I don't get it. Like, I don't, I don't think that this was your, the makeup thing was like the core demographic. And like, they changed the eyebrow on the, I want an eyebrow pencil, too. an eyebrow pencil that I can use to connect my brows. If I want to like have the Frida Kahlo palette. That should have been, they should have been that and like lipstick. That's it. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about her legacy, like how she impacted the world. Yeah. She, did a lot but let's talk about like how she impacted art so she put her whole life into art like not just the nice happy parts like her life was filled with pain and she put all that shit on canvas like she wasn't the only one but she certainly was one of the first women to make it really popular to like just to depict their pain and even their frustrations in their artwork leading the audience to make a deeper connection to her and her work her work continues to inspire women to dig into themselves for inspiration This makes her a strong female role model. You don't have to be strong to be important and make change. This is what we would say is the gift of Frida Kahlo. She put her pain and fear into her art and taught people to do the same. Her art was therapy. You you didn't need to have a plan, right? You could just grab a brush and let the emotion flow. So her paintings also touched on women's issues like abortions, miscarriage, birth, breastfeeding, and marriage. Back then, and maybe today, depending on, you know, the state you live in, these subjects were, like, not okay to be discussed out in the open or talked about at all. Kala was looking to normalize these conversations. She was looking to normalize womanhood. And when we consider womanhood, you know, Frida's life asks the question, what does it mean to be a woman? In her art, she does it by painting things like umbilical cords and other things that are often shown by, like, this concept of ribbons connecting from her to things that she loves and that she wants to nurture. She's mothering without actually being able to give birth. So I think there's a lot of that grief and sadness that's coming out in her art as well. Yeah, no, for sure. She painted herself as the Madonna, one of the most famous mothers of creation. She can be seen cradling animals and even her husband too. During the time period in which she was alive, she threw away most gender norms assigned to her. Women should be beautiful, soft, and smooth. Right? And what we said before about, like, the makeup. Uh. But Frida's unibrow and faint mustache disagreed. Just to make sure that people knew that she didn't care about being described as masculine, these features were over-exaggerated in her paintings. And some of her paintings even feature her in, like, men's suits. Yeah. Her clothing was bold, actually, you know, and, and over the top. And this was to pay homage to strong women that came before her. She didn't tone it down for anyone. During the feminist movement in the 1970s, Kahlo was a figure that served as a leader and role model for that people were looking for. She was ahead of her time. Frida was also ahead of her time by being openly bisexual, even if she didn't use the label. She was a queer person in a time where it just wasn't allowed. That alone gives her street cred. But she didn't just express her queerness in everyday life, but also on her art. 
For example, one of her paintings, Two Nudes in the Forest, depicts her and a lover at the time in an embrace. They're nude and unashamed. Her depictions of pain and queerness spoke volumes, and that message still speaks to the world even today. Final thoughts, takeaways. So I feel like the story of Frida Kahlo is amazing. Like, she had every reason to be like, nope, I'm done. Like, her childhood was hard. Her adolescence was hard. Like, she could have withered away somewhere and just, like, not done anything. But she chose to shine instead. She's an example of strength. She had an extreme disability, and she didn't let it define her. Like, her impact is still around. She's inspired so many other artists just by being herself. I think that... I know she had a way of making like her weakness become strength. Like you could be vulnerable and still be a strong figure. She was, she was fragile, but like she didn't let people see it. Like she didn't, I don't know. She's just like really, really amazing. And I think she kind of proves that we're much more than our bodies. Like she's a great example of that. And I think that there's a spirit beyond the physical, like your physical body is not the end all and be all of you. Like you're so much more. And she proves that. Yeah, I mean, we can look at Frida's story and talk about how she overcame adversity. But I think what you said is exactly right. You know, she's just being herself. She's trying to lead a life that was fulfilling. And when she couldn't go into medicine, she turned to art. And when art, you know, was painful because of having to sit up or whatever, she found ways to kind of work around that work within her physical capabilities. She found a different path. And I think that like, that's a really good message for all of us in some capacity is that, mm-hmm. you know, just find your path. I mean, I don't know if she is or not because I'm not involved in that community very heavily, but I, I imagine she would be a great icon for the disability community as well. Maybe. I mean, it would make sense. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So we got a couple of resources and references to share with you as well. So we have Frida Kahlo making herself up a virtual exhibit from the Victoria and Albert Museum. We can link the website, but it's all virtual. So you can sit there and drink your tea and pretend you're in London watching this. Nice. Frida Kahlo and the appropriation of indigenous cultures as a topic that we brought up in, in the episode by Chris Gonzalez. Um, and there's a movie for you who like to see things. Uh, Julie Tamar's Frida released in 2002 stars Selma Hayek and Ashley Judd. And also Alfred Molina. All right. He was uh, Diego. Forgot about Gotcha. So let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Or do you have any suggestions for women we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter at BigRepPod and Instagram and TikTok at BigReputationsPod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, and even your muses. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. Be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. And remember, we have a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations Pod, or just check out the link in our Linktree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you'll get a shout-out in one of our episodes. And if you choose the $5 level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episode. These are short mini-episodes about amazing women throughout history. Next up, we'll be discussing the amazing Gloria Calderon Kellett. All right, well, let's wrap this episode up. Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? 
So it's one from Frida herself. At the end of the day, we can endure so much more than we think we can. True enough. And as always, believe women. <laughs>